Hey, Fathers No Best Friends, it's Father Lizzie here on Palm Sunday, a little bit later than usual, but still wanted to get you this incredible conversation that we had with a dear friend of both of ours, Saran Sadime, who is one of the creative forces behind the new podcast, Hidden Grief. This conversation really, I think, incarnates what Kelly Brown Douglas talks about in her book, Stand Your Ground, of God being in solidarity with the crucified peoples of the world. And so while we talk a little bit about the lections for Palm Sunday and a little bit about the scripture, what we really get into is a rich and challenging and at times... um, really just gut-wrenching conversation about what does it mean to be in solidarity with one another and what especially does it mean um, for white Christians to hear the call out and call in to be in solidarity with um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, especially in the United States right now. So it's a long conversation. Settle in, make yourself a cup of tea, but I promise you it is really, really rich and I'm just so grateful that y'all tune in and Uh, listen to some of the most brilliant minds I know share their wisdom. So thank you for your continued support. I hope you have a blessed holy week. And I'm really excited to share with you this conversation, this friendship, and this wisdom from Saran Sadime of Hidden Grief. the three of us together to record to do this <laughs> who had the idea like they didn't know it was gonna be it was god it was god who had this idea it was god so saran welcome to father's no best you Thank will you please you. introduce yourself to our listeners and in so doing tell us um the projects you are currently up to yes my name is Saran Sidime. I am currently an interfaith community organizer with the Minnesota Council of Churches here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and I work with churches um, predominantly in the East Metro um, in partnership with our Muslim neighbors to um, work towards racial and economic justice. Um, in terms of my projects, <laughs> I am the host of a very new podcast called Hidden Grief, um, a podcast exploring um, grief experiences beyond and including death and dying. So we explore things like racialized grief, um, uh, chronic illness grief, poverty grief, um, white grief, um, you know, all the sort of hidden you know, forms of griefs that our society um, doesn't always have language for and isn't always comfortable calling grief. So we were sort of um, on this exploration and speaking with thinkers, activists, authors, um, writers about grief (laughs) in all its forms. Yeah. In all its forms. And Mm -hmm. Saran, you and I have been friends for over 10 years. <laughs> We're getting old. <laughs> oh my God. I was just going to say that. I cannot. Every time someone says that to me, I just go, whoa. <laughs> I know. I know. We are at that age now where we're like, remember college? <laughs> remember, remember it? Because it was so long ago. Mm-hmm. And what strikes me about the work mm. you're doing with Hidden Grief. So first of all, I when I saw that this was the podcast that you were bringing to birth in the world with mm. our friend Hannah Bark, I was 
unsurprised because I know your immense emotional capacity and wisdom oh, and you. insight and ability to, to name truth. And something that I, I think you and I share and I have always delighted in in our friendship mm-hmm. is that you are a person of great joy. Mm-hmm. Like you are a true, joyful person to be around. So and when true. we were in college, oh. you used to gather folks together in your room for tea time, which yep. was just this like sacred circle, the sacred <laughs> interfaith, interreligious, like we're going to have some tea and talk about lifetime. Yeah. How does that connect for you? How does it being a person of great joy connect to being a, a, a witness of grief? Um, I just have to pause there for a second because, and I think Jonathan is going to laugh, right? Because I have tendency to, I think, do these things without realizing what it is that I'm doing in the moment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is the thing that I think people think I know that I was sort of, when I came up with Tea Time, that I was like, okay, I'm going to create this sacred space where people are going to come together. No, I think <laughs> right, that's not like literally, I am so, like when people remember me, that's how they remember me. And that is a great um, it is a source of joy that I was able to curate a space that people felt comfortable enough to share joyful news and sometimes really hard news, if you remember, um, and sometimes just come because they wanted to be held by people. Oh, um, when I created that space, I just saw a gap. I think that's essentially what I have tendency to do is I see a gap and I say, Hmm. I'm going to do something to fill that gap. Uh, remember um, really the Holy Spirit anointing that was on you even then mm-hmm. to just facilitate that space. And I think mm-hmm. uh, all the best things that we do in this life are in some ways unwitting on our part. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I can agree with that. Seeing those gaps and filling them unselfconsciously. And, and God using them. I think, you know, that it's kind of what's happening with the podcast is not <laughs> that different, <laughs> right? I mean, I, again, you know, um, it's sort of, and the podcast really is born out of, let's yes, you know, my uh, master's thesis for Harvard Divinity School. <gasps> and, <Yeah>. and, <laughs> for, I tell this to Lizzie all the time and I would say, put it on public record, that's not where the smart people go. Now I was lucky and I met some really wonderful and smart folks. We're just going to leave that right there. Um, <laughs> and the Lord's classroom extends beyond the Ivy towers. Thank God. Um, amen. Uh, amen. But it was sort of, you know, I, I held on to this private project um, for a couple of years, really. I mean, it was two years. And so I was doing this thing. And I had a conversation with Hannah Bark, who is the producer, um, shout out to Hannah Bark, the producer of Hidden Grief Podcast, who also is a college friend of ours. And um, I sort of told her about this idea. Um, and she's like, oh my God, this like needs to be a podcast or something, you know? I, I, I don't know. I, I guess you would m- maybe tell the story differently, but she was super encouraging that this needs to be out there. And I think she was on me enough that I was like, I guess, you know, if I want to share this idea, it could be good for other people to hear it too. Versus just like me, just a couple of friends. Yeah. 
a few professors who saw it. Um, and so I essentially sort of tailored it for the public audience because it was really specific. And so I just sort of made it a little bit more open. And and it has sort of taken, as tea time, has taken a life of its own. <laughs> but yeah. I didn't, again, you can't anticipate these things. At least I don't. <laughs> like, and I think people are always like, no, but you you must have. No, I don't think like that. That's not how I function. <laughs> I don't have that kind of. <laughs> I just go, gap, fill the gap, boom. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, but I, I mean, exactly like Jonathan said, I think, and I just want to encourage so many folks who are listening, like, I think we we all, I read last year, um, maybe it was two years ago now, time is weird, it was definitely two years ago, mm-hmm. it's not during COVID, um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I was, I was just, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. yes, and how inspiration, which, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, right, I would call inspiration the Holy Spirit as she outlines it, but I think mm-hmm. all the above is fine, like, see all the above, you know, visits us, and, and there are these dreams that we are given, and dreams are something that are throughout scripture, God gives mm-hmm. us dreams, and so often people are like, well, I wish God would come down and have a conversation with me the way that, mm-hmm. quote, he did, uh, in the Bible. I'm like, but God is like, God gives us these dreams and these visions. Sometimes it's just these noticings of like, well, this is something I care about, Mm -hmm. or this is something I see that is lacking. This is, I have the gifts. I have a room, I have a room and I have Mm -hmm. tea and I can invite friends over and, and create this really deep sacred space, which by the way, is exactly how the church started. (laughs) That's it. A couple of people gathering around, some fire, some bread, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's right. That's true. You know, um, and you're mm-hmm. so right. And I think, um, I think you and I had this discussion a couple of years ago about God meets us also the way that we as individuals function, like our personalities and our, mm-hmm. um, the things that we notice because of who we are and you know, right. words for me are tremendous. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my interaction or um, encounters with God have happened over words. Mm-hmm. You know, I would hear something or I would see something written or something would come in my spirit in the form of a word mm-hmm. Um you know, and I know that, you know, in our tradition, me saying word is like, okay, which word do you mean? Word with a couple, uh, you know, capital W, small, but I mean any word, right? Like receive that, how it lands on you in, in your ear, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and for me, the vocabulary of grief was so healing to come to mm-hmm. that it must have been God. Oh. I was in such an intense distress mm. about what I was experiencing that when it landed, I swear, I just went, whoa, that's it. You know, you just have this, like, that's what an epiphany is. That's right. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. A God moment revealed. Uh, and I just, I mean, I cannot forget that moment because people tell me, how did you come to grief? And I can tell you my, like, you know, thesis story, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that I was able to connect my experiences to that vocabulary was God. There's nothing to it. You can't tell me nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bring a little Kanye West. Um, <laughs> you know, like, 
I just was, whoa. you know, my spirit just went upright. Yeah. Because I knew it was going to be, I just knew this is going, this is going to change things for me. Yeah. Because now I have language to put to the feeling. I'm no longer lost out here mm. trying to be like, what is this? What am I feeling? What's going on in my spirit, in my body? You know, um, I interviewed a woman and I was telling her my experience coming to race, which, you know, having grown up, you know, as a, a child of African immigrants, being an immigrant myself, you know, race was not something we were aware of. You know, it wasn't a, a excuse me, a reality for us. Um, yeah. It didn't hit me, the understanding of race, until I was 24. Mm-hmm. And we interviewed um, Anne and Ling Chang, who wrote The Melancholy of, of Race, which was a really important book to me when I was writing my thesis. And she said to me, you became melancholic because I was telling her, man, I've always been such a joyful person and I am still a joyful person, but something happened to my spirit when that reality, what it meant when it hit me that I live in the United States. Actually, I just live in this body. I'm a black woman. I'm a black African immigrant woman in this body. When the reality of it hit me, (laughs) the grief, that came with it was not something that I was prepared for. And I don't think anyone, I would say across the board, I don't think any of us are prepared for when a reality about our lives becomes revealed to us. Mm. You know, when the veil really breaks, right? That you were blissfully ignorant about certain things, but then there is that moment that comes where it just changes your perspective on the world forever yeah. right because you are you are now aware that you are aware mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. things change for you and the way she expressed it to me was you became melancholic and I said I became melancholic because <laughs> I, I, I don't know who our audience is so I got to mute that you know <laughs> um I got to mute that. But, you know, I it just, your, I became just like, a, oh, my God. Saran, I am feeling so full in this moment with your, your, your revelation into melancholy. Mm. And I'm going to take a, a little turn with this because um, before we started recording, we were talking and you said that knowing Christ, you knowing Christ so much has been revealed within you. And um, actually, at, at my church, Church of the Cross, this past Sunday, we had Cole Arthur Riley of Black mm-hmm. Liturgies speak, which was oh, gosh, oh, it was amazing. Out here healing people, I always say this. Yeah, <laughs> I always say this. She's out here healing people healing with her people. work. Mm-hmm. Truly, it was awesome. And one wow. of the things she talked about is the deeper we come to know God, the deeper we come to know the self, and the same is true in the inverse. The deeper we come to know ourselves the more we come to know God. And the term for that in Greek is apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And it is apocalypse, is is a revelation. Mm -hmm. And so our text that we're going to be looking at today for the week leading up to Palm slash Passion Sunday is the apocalypse. It is Mm -hmm. the crucifixion. A lot of people get this twisted. They think the apocalypse is the book of Revelation. And seven seals and every wild thing that John of Patmos put in there. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> as inspired by God, like, look, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But the actual mm-hmm. 
revealing mm. is in the cross. And so I do want to turn to the text, mm. but before we do, Saran, I just want to pause and see if you want to like respond or reflect. Well, you know what, Lizzie, everything I have to say about that, you almost have already touched and it really does have to do with the text. So I'm, I'm now excited because you have led the revelation that I had when I was reading this text in preparation for this conversation. And I cannot wait to share. As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. Then the chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further reply so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival, he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they asked. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. Then he answered them, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again, then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Mm. Pilate asked them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole cohort, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him. And they began saluting him, hail king of the Jews. They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Mm. Then they led him out to crucify him. Mm. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide which each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Mm. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Mm. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which means, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When came, when some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave, gave a loud cry and breathed his last. Mm. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and mother, and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph and Salome. These used to follow him and provided for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph bought a linen cloth, and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where the body was laid. Mm. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Saran, it feels so fitting to me that, mm. you know, part of why I reached out to you was timing, but like, mm. What is coincidence if not God? And right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it just feels so full to me that you who do this work of grief mm-hmm. and this, this holding of the unveiling and the revealing yeah. um, that we've asked you into this space today to talk about this text. And so I'm curious what your, your first yeah. responses and noticings are. I was surprised um I don't know why, because I guess we are always, right, um, getting something new, right, when we read God's word. And the connection that I was able to make um, reading Mark 15 once more um, was, oh, my God, right? Oh, my God. When it's like almost it got me. I was like, okay, when we read in Matthew, um, you know, my yoke is easier, my burden is light. Then I thought, well, that what what is that? You know, because I was trying to think about when we speak of um being Christians, right? Like we're like, pick up your cross and just, you know, sort of this is your lot. And I'm thinking, that's not some easy, like that doesn't feel like a light burden. Mm-hmm. No, it does not. Mm-hmm. When we read the scripture, we realize that <laughs> Jesus is getting crucified for being the king of Jews. But that's not who he is. Mm-hmm. That's not who he says he is. Mm-hmm. And that's not who his followers at the time know him to be. Mm-hmm. And so we get crucified for what other people think we are. That's what's heavy, right? Are the burdens that human beings mm. ascribe to us. Mm. Um, that's 
what's actually the thing that we carry. That's the thing to mourn because who God says you are, right, Mm. is not going to change. And you know that. But then people are interacting with you Mm. based on who they think you are. They ascribe this to you, Mm -hmm. right? We can almost say all social constructs are a form of cross because no one who came into a Black body was like, I'm going to be what it means to be a Black person in this world. Right. No one who's part of the LGBTQIA plus community is like, I'm going to be what they say it is to be in the world today. And everything that comes with that is the thing that is heavy. Yes. Right. Because who God calls you to be as beloved, as in being in community with God, that's that stuff we can enter into. Mm-hmm. Right. But then here you are trying to live your best life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And the world is like, but you are the king of Jews. Mm. Do you, you don't have any answer for that? Mm. This is who you are. Right? Right. Because mm. right. we're about to crucify you. Right. And Jesus says, you say so. Right. <laughs> you say so. That, that's not who I am. Mm. But you about to crucify me because that's what you see. Mm-hmm. Mm. You would say this is who I am. That's the perceived threat of yeah, right? And that's Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. he, it's the perceived threat that cuts all ways, right? Because Mm -hmm. like being sensitive to Second Temple Judaism and like just the the ways that the Good Friday text and the Palm Passion Sunday text has been used to fuel anti-Semitism. I just like want to put that out there to hold it Mm -hmm. because Jesus is threatening um, in this, ethnic minority under the boot of empire because he's befriending centurions and he's engaging in religious polemics and he's he's drawing attention that they don't want he's drawing mm-hmm. attention that they they're really trying to fly under the radar to just put their head down and get through occupation and colonialism right not colonialism of i mean colonialism in the first century sense and sure sure right and jesus is also threatening to the empire because of who he is truly. And so they decide to reduce him to, to, to the threat, even though he never says that he is that threat. And he right, is right, right. threatening. He is threatening. In a way that is so not what they are threatened by. <laughs> right, because his politic is clear. Mm-hmm. One of, you know, um, radical solidarity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, from the get go. And how empire works is that there has to be hierarchy and division. That's how empire. Yeah. Empire is based on someone has to be at the very top for it to make sense structurally. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to have a king. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You cannot have multiple kings. Right. And so if there is someone who is deemed the king of the Jews, there is another king. So who are you? Yeah. You know, Um uh, and and so to your point, you know, what fear would lead us to do to make out of people, mm-hmm. you know, um, is that's really the tragedy, yeah. right? Because the tragedy isn't that Jesus is who he is, right? I don't, I can't even use was, right? Because it's so alive for us, right? Yeah. In this moment. Yeah. And I think like, 
who we are in God cannot be killed, right? That is like the God has overcome death part. That's that's what makes it such a perfect Lenten scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Is because we know actually the resurrection happens. And we also know who we are ultimately as God's children. Other people's construct of us cannot take that away. It, it, there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. to a soul that can alter God's purposes for that soul. Right. However, what you can do in this lifetime, in this reality, is make it impossible for them to live out into that purpose, yeah. into that which God has called them to. Because of the 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 um, the oppression mm-hmm. that that is placed on those people, mm-hmm. right? You know, this is this is intimately related to grief because the thing that happens is that it changes what you believe is possible for you. You know, and I'm going to get specific because there are different forms of grief. But at the core of them, you know, when I'm interviewing someone who has a chronic illness, mm-hmm. right? The grief is life is no longer what the person thought it could could be for them. Right. It, it change that changes, right? Like you find out, you go to the doctor's office, um, you find out you have this chronic illness. It's like whoa. What, what now? The re- that it's a new reality that you must adjust to, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was similar to me when I when I sort of came into the realization that like, oh, oh, I'm a black woman mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. It completely altered the way that I lived out in the world, and that shouldn't be mm-hmm. right. And 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 yet I think. It's sort of the feeling my my grief may be deep, my bad faith is greater, that I know that this grief can produce something if I let it, mm-hmm. right? If, you know, if I, you know, uh, we are not consumed, right? This is straight out of Lamentations, right? Like yeah. that if, because there's a thing that happens where if you, if you cannot monitor it, like it can really overtake you and then it becomes the thing that is you, right? Mm-hmm. Versus the thing that you are experiencing that is giving you information about life, right. about what you care about, right. about what is important to you, right? Um, if I'm a person to whom autonomy matters, then figuring out that Black women are treated a certain way on globally yeah. um, in ways that threaten that autonomy, autonomy yeah, I'm going to be feeling a whole lot of grief because my one of my deepest values is autonomy (laughs) like Mm -hmm. um and I also believe in the autonomy that God provides us with that I am free that's the first thing that I am in God free liberated amen here I am in my faith feeling liberated I'm told I'm liberated and I step into this cosmic reality that tells me but you're a black woman therefore we don't really see your humanity right you don't really matter um, you know, your intellect, your, your capacity to feel, uh, weakness or to feel fragile mm-hmm. is never associated to you because of the construct, mm-hmm. right? Aren't you this though? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Says who? Mm-hmm. Who told you? Who said, who, who are these people is my question. I think Jesus should have been like. You not if you, if you say so. Who who said 
Who said that? Right. <laughs> Let's find out who said that because then we could talk, right? But it's like, you, you know, you we ascribe these things unto, mm-hmm. right? And then that's the thing we kill people with. Yes. That's the thing we kill people with. Yes, yes. You ascribe it to them. Who said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who said? Who gave the authority to, mm-hmm. to for you to use this like construct as truth, as fact? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right? I'm getting hot. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of, uh, I'll never forget, in, in Dr. Jennings' class at, at Duke talking about um, like there's this is this is gonna sound initially in contradiction of what you're saying, but it's not. <laughs> um, there, there's not inherent violence in describing something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Someone, there's mm-hmm. not inherent violence in describing. But mm-hmm. when description becomes coupled with value, mm-hmm. right? Then there's like the moment that we like in the <clears throat> in church and society in the West ascribed mm-hmm. like the lesser value mm-hmm. to blackness and darkness was mm-hmm. the moment globally, globally mm-hmm. that that description became a violent, a violent um, suffocation mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Look. And I think what's important to Serana that, that you're, highlighting here like for freedom christ has set you free that is the first and the deepest and the truest part of it and jesus allows himself to die as god incarnate because we know the crucifixion doesn't have to happen Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. like jesus is capable of stopping what is unfolding jesus is capable of saying Pilate, tell me who said those things and let me go talk to them and and, i mean this is the god who birthed the universe and yet god chooses to die and, and that is a distinctive thing about Christianity. This is why Palm Passion Sunday and Good Friday matter, because we have to first and foremost take seriously the suffering of the world and the suffering that you were naming and see that as mirrored in our God, right? Like if we cannot take racism seriously as a sin in the church, we have missed Good Friday entirely. And racism, misogyny, misogynoir, homophobia, all of it. Um, but also, all, of, all of the things. <laughs> right, right. And Jesus bears this so that you do not have to, right? Yeah. Like it is, it is not, it is not anybody else's job. It is not your job to be crucified. Jesus did that. And, and so it's our job. I mean, I say our job is like white Christians in a very white denomination to see who is, who is still being crucified in the streets, who is still being told you're king of the Jews. Therefore, you deserve to die. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think one of the things that often white Christians get, like, look, Jesus died for all our sins. That's true. But like, I just don't understand how folks can read this passage and not see a lynching of the first century. And, you know, I... I I always do this thing where, you know, when I'm tempted to say, how could you not see? Right. right? Because I mean, it's just, it's part of it is to let go of, I truly know I cannot control because that would then bring a series of griefs that truly 
it's like let's let's not even you know what i'm saying because you know that you know the thing about all human beings is that that you have that freedom of choice that there's nothing i can do mm. like you choose to, to choose but here's the thing lizzie mm. and jonathan <laughs> that seeing mm. right seeing is grace it is grace. Mm. It is grace. Um, and to mm. Jonathan's point earlier about there's nothing wrong with us, you know, describing, right? But here's the thing. If you don't see right, you ain't going to describe right. I can't even say that in proper English, right? Because it's right. like, I just was trying to get it out quickly, right? It's like, the problem is with our eyes, you think you know and you think you see. That's what right. if you're wrong? The cost of it, the consequence, the gravity uh, is, is, is where I think for me, it gives me pause, right? Because yeah. I am this tiny Af- black African woman, right? Going into these white churches. And the reason why I have, I can have so much grace mm. is because God just so chose for me in this lifetime to be in this body. It didn't have to be, but that was God's call for my life to come from the genealogy that I come from, mm. right? Uh, and that I know my, com- like that also, I was of a different faith. So it is a fully yeah. amazing grace that I know Jesus, mm. you know, that Jesus is who he is in my life is grace. Mm. So I think, we have received this grace, right? We are able to have this conversation, the three of us. And we are, uh, from the get-go, we're like, we're in radical solidarity with all people who are under oppression anywhere in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I've put that in your, <laughs> I think I'm giving you, putting things in your mouth here, but this is, let's much. just say that's my stance, right? I, but I, I know the two of you, I have heard the podcast. I'm, I'm going to, you know, that's a safe bet. I can yeah. <laughs> on board with that. Right, that we're all in radical uh, solidarity uh, with all oppressed people mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how are we oppressing other people in our own lives without realizing we are? Mm-hmm. That becomes the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It stops going outward mm-hmm. and it goes in so that it begins with our own uh, deconstruction Mm -hmm. in front of the Lord, Mm -hmm. right? That we sort of fall on the ground and we say, listen, what they do that I think is so um, reprehensible, I am capable of, but for grace. Mm -hmm. That's the only difference Mm -hmm. that I see and I know the consequence of this, I cannot afford to do. Therefore, I don't do it mm-hmm. because I see something that mm-hmm. that person doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the grief really is when you are suffering and you are having a conversation with someone who isn't awake yet to something. Mm-hmm. There's there's almost no point to the conversation because yeah. that's a it takes a God thing. 
for someone to awaken Mm-hmm. to this. I wrote a note about this, I think on Instagram, um, because it, it became so clear to me. I said something like, you know, um, it is difficult to resent people while hoping for them to awaken to our suffering at the same time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right yeah. here you are, you're resenting somebody because they can't see oh. something and yet you hope they're going to see it. Well, this is the work of mourning. You have no control over when they get to see or not see. That's not, <laughs> that's mm. Jesus' job, right? Mm. Like the more I'm able to differentiate between, that's the Lord's work. Mm. And the, what would the Lord have me do with what I can? That's my work. Mm-hmm. But the gap in between, that's grief. That's, that's plain mourning. And that's lament, right? That's lament. That's literally lament. God, uh, what is this? What's going on? They mm-hmm. can't see. Am I seeing something wrong? Mm-hmm. What well, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. When I look at the history of my people, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like the only response is just to sit down and mourn. It, it's just I have no other because the suffering, yeah, the sheer suffering. Yeah. It's so immense. It's so intense. It's so prolonged. Mm. That it's just, and I know that I feel that in my body. It's in my DNA. It is. Right? Yeah. The suffering. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's in my fear of water. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I mean, it's deep the trauma, the history of it. And when I'm sitting in front of a church community that doesn't even know how to begin to talk about racial justice, Mm. where do you think I go? Right. I tap into that source of grace. Mm. And I said, if not for your grace, we are, this is one degree of the, 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 the only degree of separation between us and others is grace. That's it. It's the only, that's it. You personally, that's my politic. You can't tell me otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then I think the difficult work, it's really, it's so hard, right? Because we're, I'm human, right? Like I'm not always like, oh, but God's grace, you know, is the thing that makes all the difference. And like, I just, I love the Lord because the Lord, the Lord can really like, you know, really come through with the light in all situations. Nah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what happens sometimes is that I watch the news and the barrage of things, you know, there are weeks that kind of make it really come home. Right. I think last week or two weeks ago when Amanda Gorman, you know, poet laureate yes. was followed by a security guard yeah. at home was also the same week that the whole Megan Marco debacle went oh, off. Yep. And then there was another viral video going online of this young black girl in school, in a high school, mm-hmm. who was stopped the, brutalize, the brutalization of another black girl by a perceivably white woman, white young girl, mm-hmm. and then was brutalized for doing so. Mm-hmm. I tell y'all, I just sat on my couch and wept, which I have made a very good relationship with weeping. Mm. Because I say to myself, I have to remind myself that I'm a human being because this world 
tells me constantly that that is not the case. So when I weep, it makes sense to me. Ah, you too are fragile. Because mm. I've never been in a conversation when anybody has called me fragile or soft. Mm. Right? Like that, you will never have a Black woman who is, uh, talk about construct, who would get that kind of, you know, description. Yeah. Right? As if, right, as if we are not capable of feeling those things. I mean, you see statistics of ah. Black women going to hospitals and we're not cared for in the proper way because we are um, assumed to tolerate more pain. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at the infant mortality rate for Black women in hospitals, you just want to, I mean, there's, again, it's almost the only appropriate response is to weep. Mm -hmm. Because again, the gravity, the mm -hmm. consequence of mm -hmm. that ignorance, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, of these people who are asleep, mm -hmm. right? These people who's, who grace haven't touched yet, mm -hmm. right? Who are still blind, they don't see yet. Mm -hmm. And the, the dangers that come out of that, because right like lives are lost right people the humanity of people and the dignity of humanity is neglected and i think this is where you know i'm sure people are listening to this like well dang she really got us depressed now i mean like you know like where the hope at you know like and here's the thing like even in this you know mark um story we as a people of faith, if anybody can afford grief, it is us because we know yeah. of the resurrection. Exactly. Yeah. You can go to that dark place without wanting a quick get out, out of it mm -hmm. because grief does not work that way. It's not linear. It's the least linear thing. If we have a Jesus who can be, you know, who can weep and essentially call out to God in a moment of utter suffering Right? Why have you forsaken me? My God, what about us? Mm -hmm. Who don't come close to that kind of capacity? Mm. You know, uh, what are we going to say in our suffering when it really seems like the world is not a safe place to be yeah. or a place where we can see ourselves thrive or our dreams come true right. or our humanity for our humanity to be on display? So there are a couple of things, right, that I think can give us deep joy. Mm. Right. And what do I always say? You know, on the podcast, at least I always remind people, you know, we grieve so we can have abundant joy. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. Right. And one of my favorite poems is one that um, Khalil Gibran wrote yes. uh, of joy and sorrow. Uh -huh. right? And it's so clear. Right. The, the more sorrow carves itself into your soul. Right. The more joy you can contain. Mm. because that there's been you have room for it right you have mourned these things I mourn the fact that I live in this body and all of the ways it is perceived around the globe because I have traveled yeah. and anti-blackness is not America central <laughs> no. right these feelings and sentiments these Aryan structures of race were transported across the globe for centuries right mm -hmm. and so I mourn these things. Now I can tell you where my hope is. 
Mm. Right. For listeners who are like, oh, Lord, like, please give us some. Give us give me some sugar with all of the salt and vinegar. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So let me give you some sugar. One, the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> because the joy is always that I've, I've I will never forget someone. I think it was Gabrielle Bernstein. Right. The writer. Um, or was it the book of uh, a work in miracles, right? That the book that Marion Williamson was known to sort of rewrite, mm-hmm. um, where they describe a miracle as a shift in perspective, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's not this grand thing that happens. It's, it's, it's essentially, it's an epiphany. And I thank God every day for the small epiphanies that help me hold this grief, right? Mm. By providing me with the vocabulary to begin with. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Because the vocabulary liberated me. And my hope is that in putting out this podcast, it will liberate others too. Mm-hmm. That when you can name your grief, you can move through it. So then you're no longer consumed or stuck in it. Yeah. It is not your entire reality that you realize other things are possible out of this grief. So we thank the Lord and my hope is in the Lord. Mm. My hope is also in solidarity. Yep. Because yep. the thing that I found out in my thesis, um, if people walk away with anything that I've said, you may know it, you may not. Mm-hmm. But grief inhibits really meaningful connections between people. Yes. If you look at any relationship that has had a disintegration, there has been grief operating somewhere, unaddressed, hidden, uh, Or someone didn't even know they had it. And so it made connection impossible between two people. Mm -hmm. You can say that across race. A lot of friendships, particularly over the past four years, interracial friendships, relationships have fallen apart. I have experienced them myself Mm. because of grief, right? When you're speaking with someone who cannot mourn with you, because they don't understand. Mm. And it doesn't take understanding. It takes a posture of solidarity. Mm. You don't have to get it. You don't have to experience it. Mm. You just have to love your neighbor as thyself. Because when you truly extend that posture of loving your neighbor, right? Like if I see someone who is so distraught by a construct, they're getting crucified Mm. by a construct Mm. that people have put on them, a burden that that will make anyone unable to live, to breathe Mm. freely. Right. Mm. I don't have to be you Mm -hmm. to say, I stand with you. Right. I want this burden to be lifted too. Mm. And, right, it's not the golden rule. What are they calling it? The platinum rule. How do I love you? Mm. Because I'm not going to assume that loving you is what I think it is. Mm. Right? What does loving you look like? Right? What, what do you need? Yeah. Right? What is solidarity to you? What would you have me do? Say. Mm. You know, to help lift this burden off of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that we don't ask that, right? Like, 
we don't ask those questions. We don't, you know, there are all these assumptions that we make. I go to these churches that I work with and I say, listen, let's, let's move from assumptions to curiosity here. Okay. Yeah. You know, let's not say, you know, that we're just going to go in these communities and help. Please help yourselves first. Okay. Yeah. We're not out here. We're not saving nobody. We ain't Jesus. See, you yeah. got to get that from the get-go. Right. You can't do that. Right. None of us have that capacity, you see. And right. how humbling. I don't want Jesus's job. Do you? No. Who are, this, who are these people? I don't know. Now, listen, I don't want that. <laughs> no. No, thank you. I do not want that. What I do have, though, right, is this grace that was extended to me. And so the question becomes, how do we extend that grace, right? How do we receive that grace within ourselves, fully open our arms to receive it within ourselves, and then share it with others, those we love and those we don't know, but can love anyway with that grace, Yeah. right? I got to, you know, go have my meetings. But no, I do appreciate y'all making time for me to sort of ramble on for a little bit. And, you know, um, I appreciate y'all really just creating the space. And, uh, you know, again, you know, I, and and I'll just be honest, I don't extend this invitation to everybody because uh, mm-hmm. I also know what my capacity is, but I know what our friendship uh, Lizzie uh, has meant to me in college and and I also know that Jonathan, I have to say, you were so good in holding me too when I came to conversion. Cause you know, he didn't have to like, you know, but I really, really remember our conversations then and it was really helpful for me. Well, I'm glad that stuck with you and struck as wisdom. <laughs> because- <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're being too humble. Stop. All right, folks. Um, well, listen, have a fantastic evening. Uh, Lizzie, you know, I'm always here for conversation. So same thing for you too, Jonathan. And I think it's important that we intentionally cultivate those spaces um, because it's just important. So I'm willing to do that with y'all and I'm willing to continue having these conversations about faith and being holy disruptors. So love it. Love it. <laughs> Peace, my babes. Meeting. <laughs> I know. I'm going to go talk to my pastor. Bye. <laughs> so, as you could hear, we were wrapping up the call to move on with our work days and I've had a little time since we recorded this podcast to really mull over the gift that Saran offered us. And it was especially helpful for my Palm Sunday message this morning at Church of the Cross. And I've not done this before, but I was really inspired by um, the the podcast, The Confessional with Nadia Bowles-Weber and by the course of our conversation, us talking about Black liturgies, which is authored by Cole Arthur Riley. And so, Saran, I want to, to close this show and offer you a collect. Um, that's something we do in the Episcopal Church for friends listening. A collect, it's literally spelled like collect. It's a moment in worship when all the prayers are knitted together and offered up by the officiant as one collection, a collect to God. And so knitting this conversation together over the last few weeks as I have really um, prayed it through, I, I want to offer this collect for my friend Saran. Saran, may you know the grace that birthed you, 
is the same grace that washes you with tears, tears of grief and of joy. And when your call moves from a yoke to a choke, may you remember it is God who saves and redeems a word you have given us here. And so a word I know you too are called to remember yourself, my tender, delightful, fragile, fiercely joyous friend. And I pray too, I pray to be the kind of friend who knows when to step in and shoulder up so that you can lie down. And I pray too, that the miles between us are rivers of mercy to salve and heal and carry us. May you be gentle with yourself. And most of all, may you receive with arms unfolding the gentleness from the one who calls forth your iridescence. And may you know how beautifully and wonderfully you have been made, my tender friend, Saran. Thanks, y'all. We'll see you later this week. Our music is used with a Creative Commons license, and it is by dysfunction underscore AL. And you've been listening to Fathers Know Best.